seated. Man! Woo! I am sitting there, standing there, and I am singing, and I am just as excited about my salvation as the day when it first happened. And that was a while back. And that is what we get to celebrate this morning. We get to celebrate death to life, life out of death. So I want to introduce you to Rob and Savannah Crossfield. And this is Zach Rice. Zach is, go ahead. Uh, Robin and, and Savannah have been a part of our young adult ministry that meets on Sunday evenings with Josh and Aubrey and Zach and Mia. Uh, if you have any questions, if you are a young adult, if you fall into that 18 to, to 29 uh, kind of category, that college student to right out of college, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, get in touch with Josh, get in touch with Zach, uh, Aubrey, Mia, and, uh, and find out what's going on in, in, in the lives of those individuals and that group as they uh, go. Robin felt like this is where God had drawn them and, and is where he wants to work in and through their lives. And so they wanted to become members. And so we walked through and, and I heard their testimonies of how their relationship with Jesus began. And then I said, so you guys have been more connected with this young adult group. So it's, it's fine with me if, if you would like one of them. And so they asked if Zach would be the one to, to baptize. So I'm just here in the water to, uh, to dance and to sing the song and then to give it to Zach. And so, Zach, uh, why don't you start with Rob and then we'll go from there. Yeah. What an honor it is um, to stand with you guys on this special day. So, Rob... I got three questions. I got two questions for you and one question for you guys. You ready? Uh, is it your profession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. Amen. Um, so do you pledge to walk with Christ and be, grow in Christ's likeness the rest of your days? Yes. Then uh, I have a question for you guys. Do you pledge to walk alongside Robert as he walks with Christ in his life? Yes. Yeah. Then it is my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the new life. And stand with him while he baptizes her. You'll come over and you here. you can stand here and face this way. Sorry. Let's go. Uh, so I got to, I'm going to ask you the same question, Savannah. Uh, is it your profession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And do you pledge to grow in Christ's likeness for the rest of your life? Yes. And church family, do you pledge to walk alongside Savannah as she walks with Christ? Yes. Then it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. You can hug your dad if you'd like to. Jen, why don't you come up? Why don't you pray? Why don't you thank the Lord for this opportunity and then continue us in worship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is always a great day to be in your house. But Lord, today is a great day because we get to celebrate new spiritual birth in this couple. Father, we are so grateful for how you work in our lives, for the work you've done in their lives. And Lord, we just want to give you honor and glory for that. Father, there are so many crazy things happening today in a good way, but Lord, we know that you, no matter what, are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Father, we can put our hope and our trust in you because you are a rock and our foundation. So today, may the worship 
on our lips. Father, the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, kindergarten, first and second graders are heading this way. Third, fourth, and fifth are heading this way. If you'll take out this green card and uh, this lime green card, and if you'll take some time at some point during the service to fill that out, we're just trying to get people's information updated so that as we are communicating in the days and weeks ahead, we make sure that we get it. As you're doing that, also just a reminder, as we continue to be faithful in our tithes and our offerings, as we seek to keep up with all that God is doing. And finally, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're new to Bible study, Hebrews is in the New Testament, which is going to be in the second half of your Bible. Hebrews is closer to the end of the book. If you hit Titus or Philemon, you, you just go a little bit further. If you hit James or First or Second Peter, you've gone a little bit too far. Uh, also, most of the Bibles, definitely the ones uh, under the chairs around you, they have what is called a table of contents, like any book. Do not hesitate to use that table of contents to help you navigate your way through Scripture. Uh, it's tough, especially if you're new to all this, knowing where all the different books are, so never hesitate to use the table of contents to help you. Hebrews chapter 11, commonly known, and I don't think it's any surprise, it's, not, it's no surprise to me that God would orchestrate it like this. Hebrews chapter 11 is often known as the Faith Hall of Fame or the Heroes Hall of Faith. And it does not surprise me that we are beginning our journey through Hebrews chapter 11 on 9-11 as we remember those who, who fell 20-something uh, years ago, but also as we thank God for our first responders and those who take care of us in our community. Uh, and so we, we do begin that journey today as we look at the Hebrew heroes of our faith. For the last several weeks, we have been journeying through Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 includes the, the permanent arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been here since, uh, all, since eternity beginning. Uh, he is one uh, member of our triune God. We believe Scripture teaches that God is one God, but He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while the Holy Spirit was with us uh, since the beginning, and He demonstrated Himself and showed Himself in the Old Testament, His permanent arrival came at Pentecost at the beginning of chapter at, at chapter 2 in Acts. His role, his purpose in our lives, he provides conviction of sin. Uh, he leads us to repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He is a reminder of all the things that we have been taught. Uh, he is the comforter. He is the counselor. He is our navigational system. He is the one who highlights the way, the truth, and the life. Acts chapter 2 also includes the birth of the early church, the overall community called the people of God. And last week we talked specifically about signs of a truly healthy church. You can see those signs listed there on the back of your message notes. We, we, we wonder what we want our church uh, family to look like. Uh, look no further than Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. That's where you'll find those signs, those demonstrations, uh, those habits and heartbeats of what a truly healthy church looks like. But even in that, looking at the overall picture of the local church, of the body of Christ called the church, capital C, we still have to understand that the church is made up of individuals. Individuals who somewhere along the journey placed their faith and their lives in Jesus Christ. Individuals who somewhere, somewhere along the journey, they, they came to a, a firm understanding of, of sin, of their sin, 
of what sin does. Sin is any act of rebellion against God. Sin is not doing what God has called us to do. Sin is doing the things that God has told us not to do. And Scripture tells us that we have all sinned. There is not one of us except Jesus alone who's walked this earth. There's not one of us who is without sin. We are all sinners. To understand sin and what it does, sin separates us. It it destroys our relationship with God. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We understand that sin. We choose to repent from it. We confess that sin. We turn away from it. We accept that Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross is what provides us the forgiveness of sin. It provides that restoration of the relationship with God. No one else, nothing else can do that. And then we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We place Him. He saves us from our sins, but we make Him Lord. We make Him the authority over our lives. That that is the definition definition of the of the individuals who make up the church the body of Christ that is how you become a part of the large capital C church the body of Christ by giving your heart and your life placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and for some of you here today that's where the sermon stops for you because that's where eternity needs to start for you Nothing else is really going to fully kind of make sense until you go, I, I, I give my life to Jesus Christ. And you can do that today. And I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Acts chapter 2, we see the church, the body of Christ, and we're given this picture of what it needs to be, what it needs to look like, and what it needs to do. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, we're reminded that that church is made up of individuals. Ordinary people like you and like me Believing in an extraordinary God to accomplish extraordinary things in extraordinary ways. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that the church is made up of individuals, ordinary people like you and like me, believing in an extraordinary God to accomplish extraordinary things in extraordinary ways because they believe by faith. I got to tell you something. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be kind of conscientious of our time because we're going to have lunch and then we're going to come back in here and we're going to talk about, but I, I'm really holding it all in folks. And, and somebody told me they saw the water moving as I was dancing on the side because I, I am just, I am like a, a powder keg right now. I am getting ready to explode with excitement and I'm just trying to contain it all in so I don't talk too fast and we, and we just understand. But it is, it is almost, I was sharing with Julie and a couple others, it's almost like Easter Sunday to me today because I'm so excited about what I get to share with you and I'm scared to death all at the same time that I'm going to screw it up. So there is this ongoing tension within me and it's like, okay, Lord, you got, you got to do this because there's no way that I can. But I I love this phrase that you and I, we are just ordinary people. We have gifts. We have skills. There are things about us that make us special and unique. But when it comes down to it, you and I are ordinary people believing in an extraordinary God to do extraordinary things in extraordinary ways so that he continues to work in and through us and he gets all the glory. And that's what we're starting today, this journey. And so if we can journey through Hebrews chapter 11 with Acts chapter 2 in the back of our minds, we might be able, we just might be able to imagine what happens when those ordinary people come together by faith and trust in an extraordinary God. 
What would happen if all of us ordinary folks just came together on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, believing and trusting in an extraordinary God to do extraordinary things in and through us? Wow. To some degree, the author's primary purpose of Hebrews chapter 11 is to teach his audience to read the Old Testament. Through the Old Testament, we see the story of redemption that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But but throughout the Old Testament, we see that story of redemption played out through individuals who believed God and followed him. I've used this definition before, but Warren Wearsby says it like this. He says, true Bible faith is not blind optimism or a manufactured hope-so feeling. Neither is it intellectual assent to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing in spite of evidence. That's superstition. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Cindy, just leave that that phrase up there for just a second. As we begin this journey through Hebrews chapter 11, through the Heroes Hall of Faith, through the Faith Hall of Fame, we'll be looking at these testimonies from the Old Testament, individuals who demonstrated a confident obedience to God and His Word in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the consequences. And as a result of that faith, they saw and experienced God do incredible things in and through their lives. And it is the same God who wants to do incredible things in and through our lives. The same God that those Old Testament individuals experienced, the same God that those individuals uh, in the Old Testament saw do an incredible thing, that same God is looking at this place, at this people, and that same God wants to do extraordinary, incredible things in and through us. Come on now. But he's asking us to live by that same confident obedience to him and his word. And with that said, if you are physically able, I would invite you to join us as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read the first two verses. So do me a favor and read them out loud with me. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase. And may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started. Because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice. And we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, let's just start with verse 1. Now faith. Okay, we're going to pause right there. We are obviously starting our journey in Hebrews chapter 11 in the midst of the author's conversation. And as a side note, we don't exactly know who the author is. Many scholars say it's Paul. Many scholars say it's Luke. It's more than likely one of those two, but we can't say for sure. In either case, as we're looking at this particular chapter, we are uh, picking up a train that has obviously already left the station. So I think it would be helpful just to take a minute and at least somewhat understand where we are in the conversation. The conversation of the author of Hebrews to this point 
has been, has been entirely focused on Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Savior. But more specifically, he's been talking about Jesus as the ultimate high priest. So what is a high priest? What's the role of the high priest? In the Old Testament and even into the New Testament and even, uh, even can some consider today, the high priest is responsible for the overall activity of the temple, for worship, for finances, for administration. Uh, the high priest oversaw all of the other priests. The nation of Israel would have considered the high priest the ultimate, the highest level of religious and spiritual authority, the highest level of religious and spiritual leadership. His most important responsibility, though, happened once a year on what was called the Day of Atonement, when he and he alone would enter the Holy of Holies. It was the most, it was the innermost sanctum, the innermost area of the temple, and he and he alone would enter the Holy of Holies. He would stand before, he and he alone would stand before the presence of God. He would be actually in God's presence. Tradition says that they used to tie a rope around him with a bell on it, and if the bell started stopped dinging, they considered that he might have fallen dead having been in the presence of God, so they tied the rope in order to drag him out. That was what he was doing. He was going in one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, to sprinkle the blood on what was called the mercy seat, and it was the blood of the sacrifice. He was sprinkled on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of his sins and for the forgiveness of all the sins of the people of the nation of Israel. And with that thought in mind, we find ourselves in Hebrews chapters 8 and 9. And the author is talking about the old covenant, the law, and the sacrifices compared to the new covenant found in Jesus Christ. Grace. So you have the old covenant, law, sacrifices. You have the new covenant, Christ, the cross, grace, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews chapter 9 is then about Jesus fulfilling the role as high priest and the conversation just carries over into chapter 10. And the understanding becomes that as high priest, Jesus was placing himself in a position to be the ultimate and therefore the final sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Say that again. Jesus Christ was the ultimate and therefore the final sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And as the author is talking about Jesus in this role, he is reminding his audience that just as Jesus suffered, so will those who follow him. However, comma, chapter 10, verse 39 says, But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and are saved. We know, that, we know that persecution is going to come because Jesus experienced, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and are saved. Which brings us to where we are and where we're going to be in the conversation for the next several weeks. Asking questions like, what is faith? What does it look like? What does faith accomplish? And what could faith possibly accomplish in my life? And we'll answer those questions primarily by looking at those who lived life by faith. That's how they accomplished. That's how they answered. That's how they stood strong. There are examples that are provided for us of, of imperfect, ordinary people offering a holy God all that they have and all that they are and trusting Him to do incredible things. Again, confident obedience in spite of circumstances and consequences. Now, faith, 
Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Let me submit to you a couple of different translations. It's the same meaning, it's just worded a little bit differently. The New American Standard says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The New King James Version says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now before we define it, I think we need to understand why it's so important. So look at verse 2. For by it, by faith, our ancestors, some translations will say the men of old or our elders, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. Along the same lines, look down at verse 6. Now without faith it's impossible to please God. God's pleasure God's approval, ultimately God's glory. That is why you and I exist. That is why you and I were created in the first place. You and I were ultimately created for God's glory. To be in relationship with Him, yes, but ultimately, if you want to whittle it down to the one thing that you and I were created for, the purpose that you and I exist completely for, it is ultimately for God's pleasure, for God's approval, for God to get glory. That's why you and I exist. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We exist for God's glory. That's the why. Now let's return to the what. What is faith? Verse 1, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for. So what do all these things have in common? They are what we hope for. They are things that we hope for, things that we long for. First John chapter 5, verse 14 says this. John is talking about faith in prayer. He says, this is the confidence we have before him, before Christ, before God. This is the confidence we have before him if we ask anything according to his will. It doesn't just say if we ask anything. It says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. In just a bit, after we've had an opportunity to share a meal together, I'm, we're going to come back in here and I have the incredible privilege of sharing with you what I feel God is telling us to seek Him for. I get the incredible privilege of sharing with you the vision I believe God has for, the, for, for some of the future of us as a church family. And as we have prayed and as we have sought God's will and discerned the Holy Spirit's direction, these are things that we're going to be praying for. These are things that we're going to be hoping for. These are going to be things that we are asking God to do. They are things that we believe God can do, things that we believe God is going to do, because we are going to ask according to His will. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for. It is the proof of what is not seen. Uh, J. L. Oswald Sanders said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Please don't misunderstand me or credit me with something that I am not saying. Faith is not naming it and claiming it as some people believe. I don't just wish for a million dollars and it appears. I don't just, I don't just, I don't just believe that I can achieve some greatness in life. 
Because not all of those things are in accordance with God's will. Not all of those things will give God the most glory out of my life. Nor is faith treating God like some cosmic Santa Claus or this, uh, this eternal Pez dispenser that is just there to give us what we want when we want it. That's not God because not all of those things give God the most glory out of our life, out of our lives, out of our church, out of the life of our church family. Faith is seeking the heart of God, prioritizing the will of God, asking with the goal being the glory of God and believing in the character of God. That God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. He will hold firm to his promises because he's God and that's his character. Faith is seeking the heart of God, prioritizing the will of God, asking with the goal, being the glory of God, and believing in the character of God, that he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It is the proof of what is not seen. Our worship team recently introduced us to a a song by Phil Wickham. I, I know it has a name, but I just call it the standing song. The chorus says this, if you guys want to come on up. It says, I stand on the chain-breaking, miracle-making, powerful name of Jesus. On the body-raising, prodigal-saving, powerful name of Jesus. And then it says, look where I'm standing now. Up to March 2019, Julie and I had no clue that there was an in the Atlantic, Florida. And up to March 2019, nobody at First Baptist Indy Atlantic knew that a Jonathan Key existed. And he didn't matter, so there was no reason you should have. And in March of 2019, February, March of 2019, Julie and I were at a very unique place in our family's life. We knew that God was doing something, but we, we, weren't, we weren't 100% certain of what it was. It was, a, it was a tough, tough season for us. All we knew was that God was who he says he was. God is who he says he is. And that God would do what he said he would do. And God had reminded us numerous times that he would never leave us, nor would he forsake us. God promised in his word to us that we would always have what we needed according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We had no clue what God had in store for us from the days ahead. There were a lot of question marks. There was a a season of discouragement. There was an incredible season of doubt. And And then I got a phone call from a gentleman named Jim Henry. And Jim Henry had been the pastor of First Baptist Orlando for like 100 years. And Jim said, I've been, I've been preaching at a church in this place called Indy Atlantic, Florida. And I'd like to give them your resume. Okay. And he said, I need to be upfront and honest with you. The church is hurting. The church has been through a very, very tough season. And it's, it's what we would call in, in the sports world a, re- a rebuilding year. And I gave Jim my resume, and Julie and I were, were talking with a church in the Orlando area. I've shared part of this before, and we, we finished our, our weekend there, and they asked if I'd come and be their executive pastor and worship leader. And we had enough time that before our flight, so I knew that I needed to drive my wife over here because she loves the beach. Happy wife, happy life. So I knew she needed to stick her feet in the sand. And we circled this campus. We, all we knew that was my resume was here. We hadn't had the first phone call. And we get on the drive back, 
And neither of us are speaking. And Julie says, what do you think? And, and this church in Orlando has already offered us the job. And folks, by this time, I think nothing of myself. I can't fathom that God would want to use me in any kind of way. And I look at Julie on the way back and I said, I think I'm supposed to call the church in Orlando and tell them no. I think this is where God is calling us. And she said, do it before we get to the airport. And then I got a call. We had an interview. And then I got another call. And the interview went fine, but I'd never interviewed for a pastor position before. I'd always interviewed for music positions. And, the, and Jim Johnson, who was the interim pastor at the time, calls me and he says, Hey, Jonathan, I need to talk to you. I said, Jim, I totally understand that we're going to go for somebody that's got more experience. And I get it. He said, Jonathan, no, they, they feel like you're God's man. I said, Jim, I totally understand. Thank you so much. I just appreciate the opportunity to interview. And Jim said, Jonathan, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call you back and you need to shut up and listen to me. And Jim called and said, the, the elders feel like you're God's man. And the only thing I could say to Jim was, why? And our first Sunday, our first official Sunday here, there were 40 people. And let me say something to some of you, some of you in this room that are that 40. Thank you. Thank you for walking by faith and for trusting that God was going to do something incredible. Not because God chose this incredible communicator, not because God chose this, this, this incredibly gifted people, but because God looked at a group of ordinary people and decided to do extraordinary things in and through them. And here's what I have to say to you today. Look where we're standing now. So let's stand and let's worship together. Let's stand.